Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word, and we ask you to be with those that aren't here, and if everybody's on their way, you bring them quickly. Guide and teach us what you would have us to see from this study in your son's name. Amen. All right, Ezekiel chapter 40 is a picture of a vision of a temple that Ezekiel gets to see. Uh, there's some controversy on it. Many people think it's symbolic. I do not. I believe it's literal. I believe it's going to be the third temple and the temple that Jesus will use during the millennial kingdom to have worship from. Uh, but that is the controversy out there. Uh, you read some of these things, and I don't even know where they get some of the measurements for on this. You know, uh, On commentaries, they say this is so big it can't even fit in Jerusalem. And I see it, when I look at the numbers, I see it no bigger than any of the other temples were. So it's very interesting. The temple itself in this is going to be 60 by, by 25 or so. And, and Solomon and Herod's temples were both 60 by 20. The tabernacle was 45 by 15. So Solomon and Herod's temple were about a third larger than the tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle had an enclosed area of 150 feet by 75 feet. Uh, Solomon had a whopping 500 feet by 500 feet, according to most information. And the original second temple and this temple both start out at 150 feet by 150 feet. So um, they're all comparable in size, so I don't know what their big deal is about this. Uh, but we're going to look at this. We're going to look at it. It's full of measurements. Uh, got a picture there so you can kind of understand what we're looking at as we, we talk about this. Ezekiel chapter 40, starting at verse 1. In the 25th year of our captivity, in the beginning of the year, the 10th day of the month, and the 14th year after the city had was smitten, in the selfsame day the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me here. And the vision of God, God brought to me of, the, of this land, Israel, and he set me on a very high mountain by which was the frame of the city of the south, on the south. And he brought me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass, like unto fine, with a line of flax in his hand and a measuring rod, and he stood in the gate. The man said unto me, Son of man, behold with your eyes and hear with your ears and set your heart upon all that I shall show you. For in the intent that I might show them to you, are you brought here, declare all that you have seen to the house of Israel. And behold, a wall on the outside of the house ran about, and the man's hand a measuring reed of six cubits long by a cubit and a hand breadth, so that he measured the breadth of the building and the one reed and the height one reed. All right, so we're going to look at this uh, just first part here. It says, in the 25th year of their captivity, in the beginning of the year, the 10th day of the month, and the 14th year after the city was smitten. So here we look at very precise timing. And Ezekiel is good about giving exact dates and times of his prophecy. He is not being vague on any of his prophecies. And we've seen this many times as we've gone along. He says, in this year, in this year, and here he tells us that they've been, in they've been captive for 25 years and that it has been 14 years since the city was struck down, which means that uh, it was 11 years after the first winter captivity that Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. 
And it says, in the vision, God brought him into the land of Israel and set him on a very high mountain by which was the frame of the city on the, on the south. So here he's basically saying he went to Mount Zion. It's one of the highest mountains in Israel. And uh, it talks about the city of Jerusalem being on the south side of the mountain and all, all through the scripture. So basically here he's saying, I went to Jerusalem. Now, whether he was literally taken there or just in a vision, it doesn't really say. He says that it was in a vision. Uh, God is fully able to move people around if he wants. He did it with Philip when he was talking to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's out in the desert talking to him, and the next thing he knows, he's hundreds of miles away in another town. So God's able to do this. He's done it in, in Scripture. And so it could be real. It could be just a vision. He describes it as a vision because he has no better way to look at it. And he says, he, he brought me here. Behold, there was a man whose appearance was like to the appearance of brass, with a, flat, or a line of flax in his hand and the measuring reed, and he stood in, in the gate. And here is, most people believe this is an angel, possibly even Jesus, but it doesn't specifically say the angel of the Lord. But the picture is one that is of brass, talks about judgment, so it quite possibly is that Jesus took the, the judgment. So it could be Jesus, it could just be an angel. And it says he has a line of flax or literally a rope made out of flax and a measuring reed, and he stood there in the gate. All right? And he said, Son of man, behold with your eyes, and hear with your ears, and set your heart upon that which I shall show you, for, it, for to the intent that I might show them these things unto you, that you may declare them unto the house of Israel. So this was, he's going to show him some stuff, and he wants him to declare it, wants him to share it. Uh, Daniel was to share most of his, his, his uh, visions, but he, there was a place where he says not to tell this part of the vision. Uh, John, John, when he saw the book of Revelation, he was, to, he was told tell most of it, but there's a couple places where he says don't write down what you see. All right, so there's certain things that God wants people to know about the future and certain things he says just be quiet about. And it's really wonderful when we look at the scripture. The, the scriptures are full of prophecies. Some people have said as much as a third. I don't think it's quite that large. But it's an amazing thing that the Bible is filled with prophecies and all of them that have already come to uh, true have, have come true perfectly. So anything that's left will come true. And it's not vague prophecies that God gives. You know, like he tells the people of Israel through Jeremiah, they're going to be in captivity for 70 years. That's before that happened, and they even told them who it is that's going to release them through the mouth of Isaiah some three or four hundred years before they go in, even go into captivity. And Isaiah is told, tells them that Cyrus will, will deliver them. So God is not general, like the prophecies we'll see in, from our current day prophets that are so general or vague that almost anything could be true in them. And same thing with uh, Notre Dame and all these other things. You know, they're so poetic and, and filled with ideas that almost anything can happen. You know, prophecies in the Bible is that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. That was spoken at a time when Bethlehem was a little tiny hamlet with no, no place that anybody would want to go to. Uh, told to be born of a virgin you know, and all the different things. And then said that he would go to Egypt and then he'd go to Nazareth. You know, all these things in the scriptures that are there and they come true. And no question about it because it's in black and white.
Now, people may question whether he was, Jesus was born of a virgin or not. You know, uh, the Bible said it was going to be. Mary said it was, and it was attributed to him, so I totally believe it. Could that be proven? No. He just know that that's what was said. Uh, and then he says that, he says this angel or the angel of the Lord told him to write down and he has a measuring reed. Now this reed is six cubics long by a handbreadth, which in terms of our English is nine and a half feet. So this measuring reed, when we see it, is nine and a half feet by a standard cubic distance. Remember, we've talked about the cubit being somewhere between 18 inches and 24 inches. Most of the time we understand the Hebrews talk about an 18 inch uh, cubit, not the not the Egyptian 24-inch cubit. And, uh, yeah, there's different cubits in the, in the land. That's why it's somewhere between 18 and 24 inches. All right? And then he had a, and that was the uh, thing. And then they measured this little building that they're standing by, and it's one reed by one reed, which means it's, the distance of it is nine, nine and a half feet by nine and a half feet, and it's nine and a half feet tall. So it's a cube. And what the, what's the significance of that particular building is? I don't know. Because he goes on to talk about the rest of the building uh, as we go along. Verse 6. Then came he into the gate which looked toward the east and went to the stairs thereof and measured the threshold of the gate that was one reed broad and the other threshold of the gate which was one reed broad. And every little chamber was one reed long and one reed broad. And between the little chambers were five cubits and the threshold of the gate but to the porch was within one reed. He measured also the porch of the gate therein one reed. Then measured he the porch of the gate eighteen, eight cubits and the post thereof two cubits and the porch of the gate was inward. And the little chambers of the east gate eastward were three on one side and three on the other side. They, they three were of one measure and the post on, of one had one measure on the side of that and he measured the breadth of the entry of the gate, 10 cubits, and the length of the gate, 13 cubits. The space thereof before the gate, little chamber, was one cubit on, on this side, and the other, and space of one cubit on the other side. And the little chambers were six cubits on one side and six cubits on the side. And he measured them in the gate from, from the roof to one little chamber to the roof of another, and the breadth was five and 20 cubits against the door. He made also posts three score cubits even into the post of the court around about the gates. And from the face of the gate to the entrance into the face of the porch and to the inner gate was 50 cubits. And they were narrow windows to the little chambers and their posts were in the gate round about. And likewise the arches and the windows round about inward and upon each post were palm trees. And the then brought he me into the outer outward court, and lo, there were chambers and pavement around about the court. About 30 chambers were upon the pavement, and the pavement by the side of the gates was against the length of the gates was the lower, lower pavement. And he measured the breadth of the forefront of the lower gate and to the forefront of the inner gate without, without 100 cubits eastward and northward. All right, a lot of information there as we look at the entrance to this, to this uh, temple. And as they started up, he says, they measured the threshold of the gate, one reed broad, and the threshold of the gate, which was one reed broad. So he's talking about little patios at the very front of these gates that were one reed, nine and a half feet 
broad or wide. Not a bad, not a, not a bad hallway area. And every little chamber was one reed long and one reed broad. And the line between the chambers were five cubics and, be, and the threshold of the gate by the porch was a gate within was one reed. So he's talking about this kind of large building-like thing that's in the gate. And if you've seen castles and stuff with their big gates through, this, through the uh, walls, they would be surrounded with guard towers and, or guard, guard houses and stuff. And this is what he's describing in this, in this picture. And he says there were three little rooms on each side of this that were uh, one reed, nine and a half feet, uh, nine and a half feet by nine and a half feet by nine and a half feet tall. Little, little guard chambers, you could put a few guards in there, and um, three on each side. And in between each of these little guard houses was five cubics, or seven and a half feet of space between the entranceways to each one of these doors. Uh, so we have a picture of a place where guards can hold, uh, people could could meet. I don't know what it was for. It really doesn't tell us what it's for. But in the picture of the general castles, there would be little, little guard houses, but you don't usually put six of them in one short hallway. So it's kind of questionable what they're for. Maybe they were meeting places. Maybe they were places, you know, I don't know about sleep, but maybe. Uh, and he says they measured this way all the way through here. And at the end, it had two cubics at the porch at the far side. So that's uh, three feet. And, and it says the little chambers in the gate on the, were three on one side, one, three on the other side, and they were all the same measurement. So they were all nine and a half by nine and a half by nine and a half, and nine and a half tall. So they were little cubes, literally cubicles. <laughs> uh, and he measured the breadth of the entry of the gate 10 cubits, which is 15 feet, was the breadth of the gateway. So it's a pretty large gate, a 15-foot walkway, uh, small road. You know, uh, let's see, 15 feet would probably be a very narrow two-lane road, uh, give or take a few, <laughs> few feet. So we're not, we're not talking about a little narrow passageway. You know, 15-foot passageway is a substantial substantial uh, roadway through there. And the space of the little chambers was one cubic on this side, and the space of the cubic was one cubic on the other side. In other words, there's a little space between the little Broadway and the, and the buildings. And he measured the gate from the roof of one little chamber to the roof of the other chamber, and it was 25 cubits door to door. So the length of this, he's saying, is 37 and a half feet in, in length, which pretty much fits the description that he's talking about. Nine and a half, nine and a half, nine and a half, plus, plus your seven and a half feet between the two gets you right at 37 and a half feet. And then he made posts, three score cubics, or 90 feet from the floor to the top. So this entryway is by comparison, long, thin, and very tall, which has given a very stark appearance because 90 feet is, as opposed to your, to your uh, 37 feet across uh, in depth and only, and only uh, the um, 19 and a half inches 
you know, a feet across. So it is tall and skinny, is what we would say. And uh, very ornate when it gets down to it. So we have these uh, pillars, 90-foot pillars, and the face of the gate and entrance to the south, uh, to, the, to the face of the porch, the inner gate was 50 cubits, or 75 feet, and that whole facing, facing thing that you would see looking at you. And there was narrow windows on the, on the little chambers and their posts within the gate about them, and likewise to the arches, and the windows were roundabout, and each post were palm trees. This is kind of an interesting thing. They got little tiny slit windows. Uh, again, this could be for defense. It could be for, for protection. It could just be to let lots of light in through the little slits. We, it's not telling us why things are there. All right? A lot of people take what they know of Solomon's temple and Herod's temple and say, OK, these are what they're for. Uh, but neither one of them really had guards, per se. Uh, they had the temple guards in, the, in, in Herod's day. And uh, so there could be room for guards just to kind of be more ornamental than, than uh, needed. And these windows, it says, were around about from, from the base up to the arches. And it says it had palms in them. And these are, as far as we can tell, ornamental palm trees were painted into them. Uh, we see that a lot in the... Middle East, they, they ornament their stuff with a lot of palm trees because that's what they're used to seeing. So they ornament, they put that as their ornaments. And this one apparently has that same process. He's putting ornamental palm trees on it, whether they're relieved or just painted or, or plastered on, we don't know. It doesn't really tell us because all it says was on, upon each post were palm trees. Then he came out to the outer cord, and then he saw 30 chambers that are going to go around the edges. And uh, the, these were just chambers for who knows, you know, for the priest to store their stuff, have, you know, have places for sleeping and stuff because they're not to leave the temple. So it could be their private guest quarters around, nine, you know, 60 of them in all. Uh, so we don't know much about that. There uh, are 30 upon the chambers. And there was a pavement around this wall. And the length of that pavement was 100 cubics or 150 feet. And that's, as we go on, that 150 feet will be to the north, south, and east, is what it's going to tell us. And so it's a pretty good size area, 150 feet is 50 yards in all directions from the time you enter the gate, one of the two, three gates to the, to the temple itself. Uh, pretty significant uh, distance, not great, but not, not huge. And this is why I say when people start talking about this, this whole thing not fitting in onto the Temple Mount, I don't understand what they're talking about because it fits perfectly within the dimensions of the two previous temples other than the full size of Solomon's temple. And on, Her on the second temple, it, it says in Ezra and Nehemiah, I don't remember which one, that the older men cried when they saw the second temple because it was so small compared to, to Solomon's temple. And it's not the temple itself that they cried about. It was all the outer courts because Solomon's was greater by, by over three times as much room. When you entered into Solomon's temple, you had a whole football field plus to get to the 
temple from the walls. And so when these guys saw this second temple, they remembered the glory of, te of Solomon's temple. They remembered that it was all covered with gold. They remembered the ornateness of it. And it, it was so much smaller and it was so much plainer that it brought tears to their eyes. And you know, in one sense, that's not a very good thing because if we try to dwell in past blessings, we fail to appreciate the blessings that we're living in currently. And that happens a lot with people. They remember something God did for them in the past and they always compare that. And two problems with it is, we've talked many times, is if you're dwelling in the past, you always remember the past either worse or better than it really was. And this is what they were, they were, they were forgetting all the, the bad that happened around Solomon's temple. And they were, and they, they had gloried it, it to a point where they couldn't appreciate what God had given them. Now, Herod's going to come along and he's going to add to the outer portions of the, of the second temple and he's going to make it bigger and, and more glorious. But in their day, it was fairly small. And uh, this new temple that's being seen is about the same proportions, which is why some people have actually said that this is a vision of, that he's seeing of the second temple, but it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't, you know, even though the dimensions are correct to be the second temple, why would God show him a vision of something he'd already, already seen in the past? He would have just said, remember the, remember the temple. And the, this is why I and, mo and most scholars believe that this is going to be the third temple, the one that the Jews build on the, on the, temple, on the, on the temple site. Uh, they start worshiping. The Antichrist steps into it and demands worship and then defiles it. And Jesus comes back and he will cleanse that temple and renew, renew it. That is my take. That's what I'm going to stick with. The tribulation and millennial temple. That's very interesting. We fail when we compare past blessings better or worse than now. Well, dwelling in the past is always a problem. The past will not give us any benefit and usually just leads us down the wrong paths altogether. Again, because we glorify or make worse the past, uh, it's like everybody talking about in the good old days when I was young, and there was nothing wrong with the world, but when they were living it, everything was wrong with the world. And, and their parents were saying the same thing. In the good old days, they weren't so good. They were just as bad as they are now or, or, or very similar to bad, you know, maybe some different bad things, but they were just as bad. And yes, in one case, our world is getting worse because God is, we're getting closer to God's return, but it wasn't like the old days were, were perfect. And humans have this tendency and ability to look at with rose-colored glasses at the past a lot of time and, and make it better than it was and forget all the bad. Or if they're really negative people, they intensify all the past and, and don't let go of the past. That's what these older men were doing. They were looking back and saying, oh, this was a terrible time. We, you know, a terrible building. It's not, not worth anything compared to the old one. It was still God's dwelling place. All right, verse 20. And the gate of the outward court that looked toward the north, he measured the length thereof and the breadth thereof, and the little chambers thereof that were three to, on one side and three on the other side, and the posts thereof and the arches thereof, after the measurement of the first gate, and the length of it was 50 cubics and the breadth 25 cubics, and their windows and their arches and their palm trees were after the measure of the gates that looked toward the east, and they went up, and, up by seven steps, and the arches thereof were before them, and the gate of the inner court was over against the gate toward the porch and toward the east. And he measured them gate to gate 100 cubits. All right, so now he's coming from the east gate, which he has been describing, and he comes to the 
gate to the north, and he says, it was just like the first one, basically, is what he takes a long-winded long way to say. He goes, it had three, three chambers on each side, and it had the same measurements, and it, and he gives the same measurements all over again, and I'm not going to do a lot of covering of that because it's the same description as the east gate. And we, we see this, we've seen this before when we've gone through Exodus and the description of the tabernacle. We've seen it uh, in many places where God just keeps repeating himself for emphasis, saying that everything was the same. And, you know, God does this a lot with us. Much of what we go through is, is the same thing over and over again, and then God steps in, he makes a little change, and then that becomes our new same thing for a little while. And then God steps in and he makes a change. And we need to be careful of dwelling too much in the past, too much in the future, because if we don't, we miss today. And we talked about this, Abraham's life. He lives 137 years, and we get like six or seven stories in his lifetime. And so we look at his stories, and if you don't think about how old he was, we go, boy, he had a really exciting life. God was always talking to him. Well, it doesn't talk about all the years in between each one of those visits. And we've talked about this even in Acts. We read the book of Acts, and it sounds so exciting. They went from place to place and did all these wonderful things. And then we read the, the epistles of Paul and realize he spent seven years here. When we have one or two events, he spent five years here, and there's one or two events mentioned in Acts. So there was a lot of times where he just did the day-to-day -day stuff, and it was not told to us. And we need to be able to understand, when we're going through a time where it just seems like God is letting us prod on, that we stay the course. We just do what he's told us to do. And then when he tells us to do something different, we go do what he's told us to do different, and we move forward. And until then, we just stay the course. We do what it is he tells us to do. And that is sometimes very hard to do. Just to say, God, what, what's new? We as humans like what's new. What have you done for me lately? You know, it's a big adage that people have, God, you know, whether it's God or anybody else. You know, you did something great for me a year ago, but what have you done for me lately? And this is what God is saying. Just keep going forward in what you're told to do. Verse 24. After that, he brought me toward the south, and behold, the gate toward the south, and he measured the post thereof and the arches thereof according to the measure. And there were windows in it and arches thereof around about it like those windows, and the length was 50 cubits and the breadth 25. And there were seven steps to go unto it, and the arches thereof were before it, them, and it was had palm trees on one side and, and another on the other side and on a post. And there was a gate in the inner court toward the south, and he measured the gate toward the south 100 cubits. All right, so the other gate is the same. <laughs> same description. The word is slightly different in different order, but same, same description. And that's where he's at. Verse 29. And the little chambers thereof, and the post thereof, and the arches thereof, according to these measurements, and there were windows in it, and therefore round about 50 cubits and 5, and the arches round about were 25 cubits and 5 cubits broad. And the arches thereof toward the other court, and the palm trees were on the post, and was going up into it. It had eight steps. But again, we have steps going up to a raised pavement. Verse 32. And he brought me into the inner court toward the east, and he measured the gate according to the measurements, and the little chambers thereof, and the posts thereof, and the arches thereof, according to these, me these measurements. And there were windows therein, and the arches thereof round about, and it was 50 cubits long, and 25 cubits broad, again, 75 feet by 30, 37 and a half feet. 
And the arches thereof were toward the outer, outward courts, and the palm trees were upon the posts thereof, on the sides of the east, on that side, and the going up had eight steps. And he brought me to the north gate and measured according to these measurements, the little chambers thereof, and the posts thereof, and the arches thereof, the windows round about it, were, and the length was 50 cubits, and the breadth 30, uh, 25 cubits, and the posts thereof toward the outer court, and the palm trees upon the post, and then going up into it had eight steps. And the chamber of the entries thereof were by the post of the gates, and they, where they washed the burnt offering. So here now we have something new. That by these chambers and the entries thereof were post of the gates, and they were used to wash the burnt offerings. And if you remember way back when we studied Exodus and Vigitus, they, they oftentimes would wash things that were offered to God. All right, verse 39. In the porch of the gate were two of the gate were two tables on this side and two tables on the other to slay thereon the burnt offerings and the sin offerings and the trespass offerings. And at the side without, the one that goes up to the entry of the north gate, there were two tables on the other side. And it was on the porch, and there were two tables. Four tables were on this side and four on the other side. And of the gates of eight tables whereupon they slew the offering sacrifices. And the four tables were of hewn stone for the burnt offering, and a cubic and a half long, and a cubic and a half broad, and a cubic high, whereof they laid the instruments upon which they slew the burnt offering. And there were hooks and, and a, a handbreadth fastened around about, and upon the tables was the, was the flesh of the offering. So here he's now talking about a new thing. At each of these entrances were four, for, were four tables on each side to help them have some place to kill the offerings at the gates, so it was done outside of the temple. Death was not brought into the temple. But it says that these tables that they had were a cubic and a half long, which is uh, 45 inches, so about almost four feet, just shy of four feet square, and 36 inches high. And it has a top that's a hand breadth or six inches thick, which is a pretty thick table when it's made out of stone. And it has hooks on there that they can hold their knives and flaying instruments and stuff. So here we have a bunch of tables, four, just shy of four foot, four foot cubed on, around here. Uh, probably just barely big enough to you know, put on, I you know, don't know if they could put an ox on there or a bull. It seems pretty small for that, but it's, it would be close. They'd hang off a little bit on either side, which would be good for draining the blood. Uh, lambs and goats would fit on a four-foot by four-foot table with no problem. So here we have some tables for the offerings. And without the inner gates were the chambers for the singers in the inner court, which was at the side of the north gate, and their prospect was toward the south, what they looked at, and one side of the east having the prospect toward the north. And he said, these chambers whose prospect is toward the south is for the priest and the keepers of the charge of the house, and the chamber whose prospect is toward the north is for the priests, the keepers of the charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok among the sons of Levi, which come unto the Lord to minister unto him. So he measured the court a hundred cubits long and a and hundred cubits broad, four square, and, a, and the altar that was before the house. So here we get a little description of these little 30 chambers on either side of the, on the north and the south. He says uh, the first set, is for the priests that keep the house, the ones that take care of the house, the ones that, the ones that get to look to the, to, the, to the south. So on the north side, looking south, they're the ones that 
are the keepers. They, they do the cleaning, they do the, just the maintenance of it. Uh, they get 30 chambers on the north side, and the chambers on the, that look to the north that are on the south side belong to the priests and that are going to be the ones that actually do the ministering. And they're the ones that will go into the holy place and into the holy of holies, and the other ones are the ones that just do all the maintenance stuff. And he brought me into the porch of the house and measure of each of these posts with five cubits on this side and five cubits on that side. And the breadth of the gate was three cubits on this side and three cubits on that, on that side. And the length of the porch was 20 cubits and the breadth 11 cubits. And he brought me to the steps thereof that went up and these pillars by the post were on its sides. He had 150 feet on the sides between the housing and the, and the temple. And now he says, he's bringing them up and there's these porches on there that are five cubits, which is, which is seven and a half feet, and five cubits on the other side, and the breadth of the gate where these cubits were three cubits on each side, which is back to four and a half feet on its, on its breadth. So there's little porches. Apparently in front of each one of these little, little rooms had a little tiny porch. Uh, not a big one, but not small, you know, not too small either. Six by, six by four and a half is not too small. And the length of each of, of the porch was 20 cubits or 30 feet. And the breadth was 11 cubits, which is uh, 16 and a half feet <laughs> on either side of it. We're going to stop here even though it's early. We don't have time to finish this next chapter. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We thank you for everything you've shown us each day. And we ask you to bless us as we go about our business. In Jesus' name, amen.